All right, uh, we're going to go on with the next two chapters of Romans. Um, but since there's a, a couple of visitors here, um, I thought it would be good to just kind of recap some of the main things that we've uh, talked about so far. Um, so this is our third week in Romans. We have about seven more. Um, we're going to be in Romans till the end of the summer. I can think of... Uh, I can think of... Uh, Worse ways to spend a summer than to, than to hang out in the book of Romans. Um, so this is the third week. The first week uh, that we started Romans, um, we talked about the background of the book and the community that Paul was writing to. It was uh, a group of believers, uh, actually fairly small. Uh, you know, Romans is not, we think of Rome as this big, uh, center of the Western world. Um, but the, the Christian community in Rome was uh, not, not very large at this point. And in chapter 16, Paul kind of goes through the list of people that he knows in Rome. And there's house churches, there's Priscilla and Aquila. But this is a community that is, uh, was, was likely founded by some uh, visitors from Rome who were there in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost who then took the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit back to Rome and uh, began to preach Jesus the Messiah. Emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome because of some of these arguments that were coming up, and they were um, causing disturbances and riots. And uh, so they were out of Rome for a while, then they came back. Uh, Paul met Priscilla and Aquila as Jews from Rome that had been excommunicated, um, or exiled, or whatever you call it, when an emperor kicks a certain <laughs> a certain demographic of people out of a city. Um, but at the end of the book of Romans, they're back in Rome. So they were out, they met Paul, and uh, joined him and his apostolic team, but now they're back in Rome, leading a, a church in their house. And um, so the, the, the real point of, of our first week in Romans is that this book, this letter, has played an enormous role in church history, in the Reformation, in theology, in big, thick books and commentaries. But behind all of that and before all of that, there was Paul writing to strengthen and establish this small group of believers in a city where there was a lot of darkness, a lot of paganism, a lot of opposition, both from the Jewish communities and from the pagan communities, swirling around them and he was writing to clarify what is the gospel for them how do you live in unity with one another as jew and gentile and how do you then proclaim that to the world around you so it was written for churches and communities like ours it wasn't written for academia it was written for believers who were full of the holy spirit and who were needing strength and encouragement um, so then, last week we talked through chapters 1 and 2, and really that spells out a couple of things. It spells out the problems. What are the problems that Jesus is the answer to? Right? And there's a problem with mankind as a whole. They've turned from God. They've lost their vocation as the image bearers of God. This is part of what Paul's talking about when he says they've fallen short of the glory of God. They've forgotten who they are as humans. And they've turned and they worship the creature rather than the creator. But then Paul begins to um, 
address the Jews and says, now, you're actually part of this problem because you were meant to be the answer to the problem. And we use the metaphor last week of it's one thing to be the semi that's off in the ditch, but it's another thing to be the tow truck sent out to bring the semi out of the ditch and you go into the ditch too. (laughs) So Paul says, yes, humanity's gone off course, but also the answer to that problem has gone off course, which is Israel, my people. And their vocation was to be blessed, was to be given covenant so that through them, humanity could begin to be restored back um, back to the creator. So Paul is saying Jesus addresses both of these problems. Jesus addresses the issue of mankind's bondage to sin. But Jesus also addresses the failure of the Israelite people. And he takes on the punishment that they deserve uniquely as well. Um, So he ends chapter 2, and this is where we'll pick up uh, this week. Any other big points that we should get back on the radar before we dive in? Chapter 3 that you can remember? Anything else? All right. Um, He ends chapter 2 by talking, he he starts to talk about circumcision, which if you've read the book of Acts, you know that there were great debates around circumcision, and that was just, you were marked as as a member of the family of God. You were part of the people of God. And a big debate was, should we make... um, new believers in Jesus, should we make them be circumcised like all the other Jewish people? All right? That was a major debate. That was one of these things that was causing riots. All right? So it says, circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. If you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And so basically he says in in verse 28, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Right? Membership in the people of God, membership in the family of God, was never about outward signs, outward marks. It's not even really about ethnicity, okay? It's about a kind of relationship, a posture before God and uh, status as his children. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so chapter 3 opens up. Then what advantage has the Jew? And this this is... one of the parts in Romans where it becomes a little bit difficult to follow because Paul will, will pose questions and he's sort of playing devil's advocate and trying to answer, you know, what, what is he actually saying? You know, it's like, Paul, can you just say your point? Um, but he, he uses these, way, they're, they're rhetorical devices uh, to really hammer his point home. Right? I mean, he was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a lawyer. He was, a, he was very well educated, Paul was. He was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. He was um, a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He excelled in zeal for the traditions of his fathers, he says. And so, when he begins to engage his Jewish brethren, man, he is really, he's really letting loose. But he says, so what advantage has the Jew? Anticipating a question. Or what is the value of circumcision? 
And this is classic Paul. He's posing this question, and you would say, well, I bet what he's going to say next is, well, nothing. But Paul's like, no, it's still valuable. Right? I just said that uh, it doesn't mean anything. Right? It's a matter of the spirit, not of the letter, that this outward mark that, that, that has nothing to do with what God's really after. Okay, so what about circumcision? It's very valuable. All right, so Paul is not one to just throw things out. Paul says, all right, so you have that question? All right, you think you have this figured out? Now let me take you even deeper. All right, and this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit difficult to, to follow. But if you can keep in mind the story of, um, particularly the story of Abraham, which he kind of, with Paul himself uses in chapter 4 as the climax of this section. He says, all right, let's go all the way back to the source. Right? I mean, circumcision was the sign of the covenant given to Abraham. And so this whole circumcision question, it doesn't just pop up again in, in chapter 4. It really started here at the end of chapter 2. All right, so, what it, so what about circumcision? Um, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. All right? So here he's saying, listen... God's not doing something new. And remember, all along, he's trying to say, hey, the gospel reveals God's faithfulness to his covenant. He revealed, the gospel reveals how God is sorting out both the sin of the world and the failure of his people who were supposed to be addressing the problem of the sin of the world. Right? How's God going to be faithful to this people, to his promises, to bless them, and, and then through them to save this people? So the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Right? And that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a key phrase there. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. It means that they weren't rewarded with the oracles of God. They weren't crowned with, all right, because of who you are, you now get the oracles of God. No, they, they were entrusted, meaning they were supposed to take those oracles and really bless the world with them. You were entrusted there was something very valuable given to you, and you failed in your calling to protect and to, right? If you're given a gift for someone, if you're entrusted with a valuable possession, if you belong to, if you work for one of those companies that takes, you know, the, the armored cars that takes lots of money from one place to another, you were entrusted with a lot. Where is all of that now? All right? What if some were unfaithful? So they were unfaithful in their calling. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. So he's saying, yes, Israel failed. It was very valuable. What God was doing with Israel didn't fail. Israel failed. God did not fail. Okay? And in fact, he's going to say, he's going to, He's going to continue to explain this as we go. But first he has to address another, another question and kind of um, point out the absurdity of that. Okay, so Israel failed. So then did God fail? No. And he quotes a psalm that you, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness or faithlessness, this is kind of the same thing, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, 
What shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Then why is he angry with us? If he can still do what he needs to do, if he can still fulfill his promises when we utterly fail, then why is he mad at us? (laughs) I speak in a human way, he says. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why not do evil that good may come? Okay, he's, he's taking this line of reasoning, and it's called, you know, this is a logical way of, of arguing. It's called reductio ad absurdum, right? You, you take this kind of line of reasoning, and you magnify it so you can show people how silly and how... In, <laughs> How, uh, how much it doesn't, doesn't work. It's illogical. Why not do evil that good may come? Hey, if Israel failed, and that means that God can now come and do something that's different than that, wasn't that good that Israel failed? No, he says. As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. He says, just forget about those people. God's going to deal with them. Okay, so what then? He gets back to his original question. Are we Jews any better off? Now, he just said, there's lots of value. And now he says, so are we any better off? No, not at all. (laughs) You're like, wait, wait, whose side are you on, Paul? We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Okay, they're under sin. And this becomes becomes the, the common enemy that Jews and Greeks both share. What's the problem with the nations? They're under sin. And what's the problem of the Jewish people? They're also under sin. Now, the nations are under sin because they've turned away from their creator. The Jews are under sin because they've broken his covenant. Right? Because they know who he is. They know what he desired. And they have disobeyed that. As it is written, and he rattles off several different Old Testament examples. These are the law, right? The Jews have the law. This is one of the things that they would boast in. Hey, we've received, we are the nation that has Torah. And we are also the nation that has circumcision. We are the chosen people of God. But he's trying to say, but you're no better off. Because let me tell you what that law that you're so proud that you have, let me tell you what it says about you. None is righteous. No one. They've all gone astray. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. It just goes on and on. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. He says, guess who the law is talking about here? Not those heathen. It's y'all. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law. Guys, who do you think this is all about? It's you. So that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, we're going to talk about this later as he starts to unpack um, what the role of the law really was. So why did, you know, what the law can't say, the law can't justify, so... It's kind of the same thing as circumcision. So so is there any value to it? And he goes, well, no and yes. Right? And it's it's one of these both and things that Paul loves to to throw at us. Because he says, now 
The righteousness of God has been... Well, let me stop here. Verse 21. But now. But now. That's a, that's a loaded transition. All right? Here's the state of things. Here's the state of things for the whole world. We've just gotten done talking about that. And for the people of God who are entrusted with the oracles of God. All are under sin. And through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now. Okay, this is the gospel. Right? This is the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He says, but now. The time has, ch- the, the time has changed. Right? The age that we're under has now changed. And this is the gospel. The righteousness of God has been manifested. Remember in verse uh, 117, it says the, the, uh, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. How faithful he has been and how he somehow is going to remain faithful to his promise to Abraham to save the world through them. How is he going to do this? He says, it's not through the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They're pointing to it. Just like they're pointing to the sin (laughs) that you're under, they're also pointing to the solution. All along, they've been pointing to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So salvation for Israel... Is coming through the very same means as salvation for the nations. But in that, God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Right? He has not scrapped the Israel plan. He has not scrapped that plan. In fact, um, that plan all along was pointing to Jesus. All right? So he says, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, both the nations and the chosen people of God who were supposed to bless the nations. So all are under sin. Everybody needs help. Everybody is, is, is uh, in the same boat and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. All right. God sent Jesus, and, and here's what he's saying. And that's, I mean, we couldn't possibly do justice to, to everything that's in those three verses there tonight. But what God is, what, what Paul is saying is that in Jesus, God has, has, has solved every problem, and he's remained completely faithful while doing so. He's, he's fulfilled his promise. None of his word has, has failed uh, in the process. We'll talk more about um, the redemption, uh, how the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus justifies, because he's going to start to unpack that in 5, 6, 7, and 8. Um, so we're going to come back to that. But I, I, what I want to focus on tonight is how he, it, he's really started this section talking to the Jews. All right, so what about, what about Jewishness? Right, what about circumcision? What about the law? Are Jews any better off? 
He says, well, there's a lot of value to this if you really get it, but it in itself is not very valuable in the way that you all conceive uh, value. In his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Right? There is this time. Jesus has changed the times. Okay, before we were moving toward this. Now we see it. It's been uncovered. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, he says, what Israel was supposed to be, they failed to do. But Jesus did not fail. And everything that Israel was supposed to be, by the way, this is the propitiation by God's blood. This is language of the temple sacrifice. Jesus has done all of that. Israel prided themselves, hey, we have a relationship with the creator God. We have this place where we can go and meet with him. It's called the temple. All right? And that word propitiation is related to the word mercy seat, right? which is where the blood of the animal would be sprinkled and where the presence of God would come. And that was where mankind and God had some, sort, some semblance of relationship. Right? It, was, it was in a shadowy way, as Hebrews would say. It was in a type and a shadowy way. But that's where God met with his people. Now, he says, God has put forth Christ Jesus. And now that is where the people of God meet with God. So guess what? The temple's temple's done away with. Jesus is the temple. He is the propitiation. He is the sacrifice. It's his blood. You know, we can go on and on and talk about this. We We don't have time. But he's basically saying what Israel was supposed to be for the nations, which is a meeting place with God, And, you know, we talked about in Isaiah 2, the nations coming to the mountain of the Lord to hear what he has to say, to see the way they should live. Israel was supposed to be lifted up and all nations would flow to it. That was the vision for Israel. And he's saying, now this is Jesus. Jesus, all the nations can come to Jesus. And in doing that, they're they're coming in the same way that they were supposed to come to Israel. If I'm not making sense, raise your hand and say, wait, wait, what? Okay, because I, I have to do that a lot with Paul, right? I'm reading along and then I go, wait, what? So in preaching through this, I may, uh, I may become guilty of the same thing. So what becomes of our boasting? What kind of boasting is that? That's, hey, we are part of the people of God. We are Jews. We are his chosen people. So what becomes of our blessing? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith. I'm going to get into what that means here in a second. Apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Right? Y'all, you guys, God's plan all along, even in giving the law, even giving circumcision, was that you would be a blessing to the nations and bring them back to me to show them godliness, to show them righteousness. Things that we talked about last week. 
Godliness, bearing the image of God. Righteousness, ordering life and doing things in a way that's right. So, you're justified. That means you are pronounced part of the people of God. You now are back in relationship with God, along with all of those uh, who believe. Apart from works to the law, apart from circumcision, apart from possessing the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? You guys think that he's the only one that he wants to save? No, he has always wanted to save all nations. And so there's something other than the law that justifies you. Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So he's he's trying to answer the question here. How can Jews and Gentiles both exist in this same family? Right? Jews all along, they were about family, they were about lineage, they were about ethnicity. That's why circumcision was such a key thing. Are you in or out? And he says, it's not about any of that. In fact, the whole reason why I have an in <laughs> is so that you can bring them in as well. So we're doing this in Jesus. The, the original calling and vocation of Israel is fulfilled in Jesus. Both Israel's original vocation but also mankind's Adam's original vocation. And then we get into that in chapter 5. So God is one, and he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? He says, the law doesn't do it, so do we get rid of the law? And he says, no. Okay? Okay. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What do you mean, Paul? Do I follow the law or not? And he says, yes. <laughs> That's his answer. Yes. But this is why this chapter 4 is so crucial. Okay, This is not just him reaching blindly back into the Old Testament for an example of someone who stumbled upon justification by faith. No. When he, when he goes back to Abraham, this is the granddaddy. Right? He is the model of faith and would have been seen as such before the New Testament. Abraham is our father. He is the one after whom our lives ought to be patterned. Okay, let's go to Abraham. So in this discussion, so do we follow the law? Does that make us, does that get us in? No. So do we get rid of the law? No. And I think what Paul is calling them to is, why don't you read the law in the way that it was always supposed to be read? And this is what he does. He says, let's, let's rewind, guys. Let's just go back. Let's start with Abraham. I, I could start with Genesis. He kind of already did in chapter 1. I could start with Genesis. But let's just start with where Israel got its beginnings. What was God doing back then? Was he selecting a special people that he could wall off with these ethnic uh, rules and, and markers and keep other people out? He was never doing that. Look at, look at Abraham's life. Let's go back to the source. He says, you guys want to get serious? 
Let's go to the text. Let's go to Genesis 15. Let's go to that original promise. What was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? He says, let's go to the... Let's talk about the law. What's it say? Guys, what's it say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, go to Genesis 15. Because I think when Paul says... What does scripture say? We should go look up what scripture says. Genesis 15. What is Genesis 15? It's when God makes his covenant with Abraham. It's not when he first calls Abraham. That's back in chapter 12. But this is when God makes his covenant. And he uses that word with Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now back in chapter 12, he had promised, he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abram was like, okay, well, I guess the first thing that needs to happen is I need to have a child, (laughs) right? A nation would probably require a first step. And that didn't happen. So, oh, God must have meant uh, this member of my household, all right? Okay, I kind of see where he's going, but I don't know how he's... So he asked God, what what about this nation thing? How, How about just one child? This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. Now this was, uh, Paul talks about this as part of Abram's faith. But Jesus, uh, so God, he he brought him outside and he said, look towards heaven and number the stars if if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He looked at the stars. Look, and he must have been reminded, oh, this is the God who created all of these things. What are these, what are these stars here? They're reflections of the glory of the creator. Your offspring are all going to be reflections of the glory of the creator. They're going to shine like the stars. And you're going to look and you're, you're going to look down at your posterity and you're going to see the glory of God being lived out, right? This is reestablishing what Adam was supposed to be. Look at the stars. It wasn't just, wasn't just the quantity of them. It was what the stars represented. The glory of the heavens is Psalm 8. Right? When I could, what is man that you are mindful of him? <laughs> when I look at the stars, I think, man, who are we? And the God says, hey, Abraham, look at the stars. That's you. 
That's your family. That's your offspring. The psalmist uses the language glory and honor. You have crowned him with glory and honor, which we talked about last week. He said, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So then he, he uh, establishes the covenant. There's the ceremony in the covenant and you know, God passes through. And this was a sign that, you know, if I'm faithless, if I, if I go back on this promise, you know, be it to me the way these animals are, are in two, right? You walk through and it was kind of a, you, you mark the covenant by saying, I, I, will, I will suffer the same fate as these animal carcasses if I am faithless to this covenant. And so that was a big deal, right? God being faithful to his promise. And so back to, back to Romans. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed what? That God could save him and that he wouldn't go to hell when he died? I don't think Abraham really had that in mind. What was at stake? What did Abraham believe God for? Not salvation in the way that we usually consider it. What did Abraham believe God for? That I can be a blessing and through me, the world can be blessed. That I, can, that I will become a great nation. Right? That I will have a great inheritance. That I'll have a great reward. That I'll look down through my lineage and I'll see stars. Like the stars of heaven. Not movie stars. I mean, please hear this correctly. This is not, <laughs> this, we're not preaching prosperity here. You're going to be a family of movie stars. No. Abraham believed God that me, a guy who doesn't even have a physical child yet, biological child yet, can be a great nation. That was what God said. I like that. He's living right. Okay? You see that? Abraham believed God and God said, that's the way to be a human. Hear me. Know what I'm capable of and believe that I am going to do what I said. Now, obviously, someone who does that will do a lot of other things that we term righteousness. Okay? But the heart of it is faith. The heart of it is trust. Abraham trusted God. He trusted his word. He trusted God's ability to do what he said he was going to do. And this is what Paul, this is exactly what Paul says. Uh, verse 13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. Wait, 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 what? The heir of the world? <coughs> I mean, think about that. Kind of buzz past that. Did you, did you buzz past that when you read? Abraham to be the heir of the world? That's, that's, what, that's the vocation of the people of God, to be the heir of the world. He said, Go in, I'm going to give you this land. Now, it wasn't just a little plot in Canaan. It was the land. It was the earth. Right? That's what Adam's vocation was. Govern the earth. And God took a little sample and said, 
you, Abraham, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to give you this little plot of land. But people are going to see what mankind was created for in that. If you will go in and possess this land and trust me and believe me and order life in that land in the way that I tell you, in the way that I show you, people are going to see who I am and they're going to begin to come back to me. So Paul's saying, you guys, you're arguing about who has the, the written code and who is circumcised. And he says, you've completely missed the point. It's not about do we follow these rules or do we not follow these rules? And he says, that has never really been the concern of God. Look all the way back at Abraham. What, was his, what did his righteousness consist in? Believing God, seeing God's vision for mankind and giving himself to that. That's righteousness. That's how you, and the people that do that are a part of his family. I don't care if you're Jew, Gentile. This is the point that Paul's making. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world, it didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise void. God didn't say, okay, here's rules. All right, everyone that follows these rules is going to inherit the world. (laughs) It's completely backwards. No. I've made, if if you will learn from me, if you will rely on me, if you will trust that I know more of, about what it means to be human than your fleshly desires do. And if you will hear me and do what I'm saying, you have no idea the glory that's headed into the world through your life. But Abraham saw it and he believed it. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. This was never just about Israel. It was for the sake of all nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not. So, again, he's saying the faith of Abraham. You know, we turn faith into this little thing like, I believe that Jesus forgave my sins. That's part of it. It's a very small part of it. It's a very important part of it. But in the grand scheme of things... God's after way more than forgiving you for your sins. Otherwise, why a whole chapter on how Abraham saw the grand vision of God and believed it? He didn't see how, oh, yeah, God, I really do believe that you love me and you can forgive my sins. Okay, great. God said that's righteous. That's wrapped up in it, but it goes way beyond that into the restoration of all the cosmos back to God. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Uh, God, <laughs> we have a problem here. I'm, I'm, I'm approaching triple digits. Which was as good as dead. 
since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness, King James says the deadness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And this is what it comes down to. This is the faith that justifies us. This is the faith that brings us into right relationship with God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Does it include forgiveness of sins? Absolutely. Because God has promised to forgive and deal with sins and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Does it include uh, other things that we hope for and long for? Yes. But the basis of all of that is becoming fully convinced that God is able to do what he had promised. That's why this whole thing about, all right, is it, is it the faithfulness of Jesus or is, it faith, or is it our faith in Jesus? It's both. Who are, you more, who are you most likely to put your faith in? Someone who's faithful. That's why Paul's so intent on showing the mind-boggling faithfulness of God. He's trying to say, why don't you just put your trust in him? Look how trustworthy he is. Look at his righteousness. And that becomes, and that makes us righteous when we believe, whoa, I see what he's been after all along. And I see that he's able to bring that to pass. Now the gospel, it says, it reveals God's righteousness. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, his presence and his, his life and the work that he accomplished reveals just how faithful, how genius God is at fulfilling his promises. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. It was the depth of his trust. The abandonment to what seemed possible to him, to what God said. That's what, that's what God looked and said, that is right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. And he says, Jew, Gentile, if you want to get to this place of total trust in the calling of God on your life and his, and his ability to bring it to pass in your life, welcome aboard with full rights, with full inheritance. All right? You are a child of Abraham as much as any ethnic Jew because this is what Abraham was... All, that's, these are his offspring, the ones who walk in the footsteps of Abraham. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Whoa. He gave Abraham a son. He gave Sarah a son. She couldn't have children. He raised Jesus from the dead. Are you ready to trust him yet? You ready to believe that the life that you've been living, which leads to death, which has caused pain to you and to those around you? Are you ready to believe that God can and will and wants to restore you, not just to some substatus of former sinner, but to the full restoration of the glory of the sons of God? This is where he ends up in chapter 8. So much so that 
the whole universe, the whole cosmos begins to revert back to its former glory because of your presence. As you go walking around, you bear the glory of God. This is, this is Romans 8, right? Creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. Okay, so we're not just being checked off. All right, your status, your, your final destination is no longer hell, it's heaven. Praise God, that's true. But man, let's zoom out. Let's go back to Abraham. Let's look up at the stars and say, yeah, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you can. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, because it was fully convinced. He saw what God was capable of. He saw what God was aiming at, and he said, let's go. And that's why in Genesis 17, right before God marks him with the sign of circumcision, which is really a sign of, of, of total openness and vulnerability before God, an abandonment to him, right? In every, in every part of your being. I mean, you just think of the, the significance of it. Right before he marks him in that way, he says, Abraham... Walk before me. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. And so Paul says, hey, all who want to walk before God, live their life in relationship with him, believe that he has a purpose, has a design, believe that they were created to bear his image and have gone way off course but are being restored to that image and being, being glorified, justified, not just glorified, but then sanctified and glorified in those things that he talks about in Romans 8. And walk with him as that work happens in our lives and believe that this isn't just for me. This is much bigger than me. This is a worldwide restoration project that I'm now a part of, along with all those who relate to God in the same way. It's called faith. All right? And it's based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's where it all meets. Right? Israel's failure, the punishment on Israel laid on Jesus. Right? And so God restores and he, he, he fulfills the calling of Israel in Jesus. And in doing so, he fulfills Israel's original calling, which was salvation comes to the Gentiles. All right? So Paul keeps in his meandering way, in his very dense way, brings us to the truth that in Jesus, God has dealt with sin and he has created, and he has fulfilled his promise to Abraham to create a family that will bless the world. He's done it. And we're not scrapping that project and starting a new one called Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is what Abraham had. It's the way he walked with God. And it's the way Jesus showed us to walk with God. Does that make sense? Kind of? I mean, it takes it. I mean, you've got to let it sink in. All right? But every time I come to this section, I, I just come back to the, the great truth. And it's the life-giving truth that God is faithful. And God is trustworthy. 
and that everything that we need, everything that he requires of us, all of the, the plans that he has for our life, all the, the, the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in, all of it happens as we simply walk in trust with him. We see what he's capable of, and we say, yeah, okay. And when we consider our own weakness, when we consider our own uh, frailty, when we consider our own past failures, when we consider everything that we know is wrong about us, everything that we know that would prevent the, uh, the calling of God from being lived out through our lives, we would consider that we don't waver concerning the promise of God. Because it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. If he could fulfill his promise to Abraham, even though Israel went way off course, beyond, beyond help, and he still did it, what can he do with us? Bring us back. And not just bring us back, kind of, but set us back and restore the glory of the sons of God that was always meant to be ours and, and, and give us our inheritance. All right, so we're not just talking about a change of status, although that's involved and it's important. Justification is you were guilty, now you are righteous. But what's at the heart of that? Who is pronounced that way? It's those who have faith, those who trust God. And how do you trust God? Just consider what he's done. Look at the whole history. You want to go to the law? Let's go to the law. Look at all the way back. Look how faithful he's been all along. All right, so it's all pointing to, that's him addressing sort of his Jewish audience, all right? Trying to work out, so what about us? You know, he addressed the, the Gentile audience some, and then he says, okay, so what about the Jews? What advantages do we have here? Well, there's advantages, but not in the way that you think. And so now we're ready to talk about, in chapter 5, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick up here next week, just how is it that all of this, that, that Jesus can do all this? What, 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 what has happened in Jesus to make it possible for, uh, for all of this to happen? Okay, So he's going to move on and just say, um, and really this is what 5 and 6 have to do with. Coming into, we talk about being in Christ. Right? That's, that's who's part of the family of God now, those who are in Christ, who have faith in him. What does that mean? All right. Um, yeah, so I just want to call us to, to examine your own heart. Do you, do you waver concerning the promises of God? What are the promises of God in your life? Give you a firm, gra- uh, firm grasp on those. Abraham knew what God had said and was trying to make sense of how God was going to do it. But I want to ask you, do you know what God has said? Do you know what God's promise is for you? Do you know what his calling is on your life? Maybe not, hey, what job should I have or what car should I drive? Or, but you as a human being, 
What is, the, what is your vocation as a human before God? And are you walking in that? Are you trusting God to bring that about? Because your vocation is to live godly and righteous. Reflect his image and order your life in a way that is right. In a way that brings life. Okay? So I want to ask that God would strengthen um, any wavering hearts. And Paul goes to great lengths to show how faithful God has been. And I want to I want to ask all of you, you know, if you waver and if you have trust problems, if you don't, if, if it's hard for you to see how is God going to do X, Y or Z in my life or through my life? I just want to ask, kind of like, like Paul asks, and I'm putting words in, in Paul's uh, mouth, are, are you reading the same Bible I am? <laughs> what, who do you think it is that we're dealing with here? And what do you think the Scripture is for? What do you think the Scripture is talking about? Do you see what he did? He said, walk with me, and I'm going to do everything. Listen, I'll make it happen. Walk with me, and you watch how I make it happen. And he's been so faithful to that promise. And so I want to call us to have faith in Jesus. Because he's worthy of trust. Trust Jesus because he's worthy of trust. And I don't know, some of you may have particular things you're working out in your own walk with God where you need to hear that. You need to focus less on how, how am I going to get out of this thing or improve this thing or be better at this thing. Just let God take you out. Show you the stars. Whatever those are in your life. And say, no, this, (laughs) if you'll let me, this is where I'm taking you. Your life is going to be, maybe not in the way that you see, your life is going to glorify me. It's going to restore the earth Back to glory. You're going to uh, proclaim who I am. And so are your offspring. Alright, so we have an inheritance and we have a calling, and God is making us uh, fulfill our calling. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, and we thank you for um, your faithfulness to us. And pray that you would help us, Lord, when if when we waver. Lord, when we consider the weakness of our own bodies, when we see your calling to go and make disciples, when we see um, how much you, you uh, all the good works that you want for us to, to walk in, Lord, when we look at those and go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can share the gospel. I don't know if I can uh, really raise my children in a godly way. I don't know if I can... Uh, I don't know if I can homeschool. I don't know if I can be a witness on the job. I don't, I don't know if I can do this. God, I pray that you would just lift our gaze uh, to you and uh, that you would strengthen any wavering that we have inside of us. We thank you for how patient you are and how willing you are to show us uh, your faithfulness, your truthfulness. And I pray that we just, we'd be captured with it and that would become our righteousness, Lord, that that would be the way we seek uh, to live right with you is by trusting you and believing you and living from that place. 
And Lord, we know that, that it's, it's sin that cuts us off from that. That the real, the real damage of sin is that it, it closes us off. It makes us not trust you. It makes us focus in on ourselves. And so, Lord, thank you for saving us from that, from delivering us from the power of sin. But now, Lord, help us to, help us to move forward. Help us to uh, get a, a grand vision of the kind of life that you want us to live. Lord, the kind of inheritance that you have uh, awaiting us, Lord, and, and the, the way that you are going to affect, uh, all, down through the generations, the way you are going to affect uh, the world through our lives. Help us to walk with you in a way that trusts and allows uh, your life-giving work, allows the life of Jesus uh, to, live, to be lived out uh, in our city, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.